is it wrong to want a doctor who looks like you? Mm. I don't know. It seems controversial. I'm glad we've got an expert on today's episode to talk to us about it, though. We've got Dr. Jeffrey Gardier, America's psychologist, is here. Welcome to Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks. I'm Gloria Harrison, a TV producer living in New York. And I'm Carrie Clifford, an actor and writer living in Los Angeles. We first met in elementary school outside Boston. When I was part of a program that bused kids from the inner city to school in the suburbs. We're going to talk about privilege and disadvantage. And about what it's like to move from one world to another without really feeling at home in either. In this podcast, we're having conversations about race. And the awkwardness that comes with learning about people from another culture. So to help us tackle the idea of wanting a doctor who looks like me, we called on the best, <laughs> Dr. Jeff Gardier, better known as America's psychologist. Dr. Jeff is one of the most widely sought after experts in the field of mental health. In addition to having a private practice in Manhattan, he is an associate professor and course director of behavioral medicine at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York City. Dr. Gardier has been a contributor to the Fox Network, the Today Show, MSNBC, and a host of other television talk shows and reality shows. And now we are so honored to have him in the Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks house. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. We're excited to have you. Well, I'm excited to be here. I've heard so much about hard candy and fruit snacks, and uh, I, 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 I was hungry and thirsty to there be with the two of you. I love it. So I, I want to talk to you about this topic that's been coming up. It's been going on, um, been around for years, actually, and that is the idea that someone says, I want a doctor who looks like me. And Karen, I wanted to just ask you to weigh in on that as a psychologist. Like, what is what do you believe is the psychology behind someone who says, you know, me as a black woman, I want a doctor who looks like me, Carrie, you know, as a white woman who says I want a doctor who looks like me. Like, what's your take on that? Well, I think this is a very controversial and really kind of uh, potentially explosive topic. Uh, but I guess with hard candy and fruit snacks, <laughs> you guys don't shy away from that sort of thing. You're kind of attracted to it. So <laughs> certainly, you know, it's something that I think is very complex. Um, essentially, we know that uh, ideally the race of a provider shouldn't matter in providing the best care to patients. But people do have different experiences different belief uh, systems, and sometimes bias and prejudice um, may play a role in that. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think um, these certainly um, can be a case-by-case -case, uh, analysis that we would have to provide as to why someone who is Black, for example, would want a Black provider, um, and why someone who is white would want a white provider but I think we can all agree right away that there might be something, I think, um, much more um, perhaps troubling yeah. um, with a white person wanting a white provider, um, given the state of race relations 
uh, in our great country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to say something to you about that. Like, we understand that this is this topic can be controversial. And why we find comfort now, honestly, with you is because we are what in what we call our brave space. So we're saying to you that we respect your opinion, and I'm going to be honest with you about my opinion. Carrie's going to do the same, and, and it stays here, right? Our brave space, because we're encouraging other people to have the same conversations within their community. And that's what our hopes are. And I understand what you're saying, and I just want other people to kind of gather uh, their own you know, perspective and, and take a different, um, maybe hopefully look at it in a different approach. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Carrie, you were going to say something. Well, I was just going to say, is there any benefit to having a doctor who looks like you? And that could be, you know, I know for women, there's a lot of women who don't want to see a male gynecologist. You know, um, is there is there any truth behind that, that maybe a black patient should see a black doctor because they know more the, you know, ins and outs of their medical condition or something like that? Like, is there any truth to the merit of having a doctor who looks like you? Well, th there certainly is a, a, a merit to having a doctor who looks like you, who comes from your particular culture. We see that in some of the religions that have more of, um, you know, some aspect of that religion, which may be more orthodox uh, in that particular sect or um, versus you know, some other part of that religion, right. right? That that we know. So there's there's a benefit there. I certainly agree, given that uh, when it comes to um, gynecology, uh, that uh, women, I believe, uh, prefer having another woman uh, examining them, uh, given again, the complexity of the human anatomy of a woman versus a man and how much more invasive uh, it is for a woman. And the fact that women have much more uh, sensitivity and competence uh, with regard to not only professional, but personal experience in examining a woman. Right. Uh, there have been women who have, for example, been uh, physically, sexually assaulted uh, and therefore, um, you know, by a man and therefore, you know, cannot uh, allow uh, another man to examine them. And therefore, again, the choice is a woman. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, as a man, uh, if I go see a urologist, it makes no difference to me whether it's a man or a woman. And I think part of that is because, again, the nature of the genitalia, not as invasive. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that I know for myself personally, um, I trust women, um, if not as much as um, more than men. So that's based on my experience. But I have no preference when it comes, you know, to something like that, right. whether it's a male or a female. But I would, you know, I sometimes I feel much more comfortable if it's a female urologist, because I think I don't know. I just think that with <laughs> women being treated as second and third class citizens in our society, they have to work harder. Mm -hmm. They have to learn more uh, in order to break that glass ceiling. And therefore, you know, they have, you know, something extra, in my opinion, you know, that I think, you know, makes me feel better. And I want to thank you for that. Listen, we appreciate <laughs> you because we want more people to think like that and feel that way. I want to read you a statistic about women, uh, actually African-American women. 
Black newborns are more likely to survive during childbirth when cared for by black doctors, according to a new study in the USA Today. But basically, it's saying that women who are in childbirth and have a doctor who looks like them um, fare better in terms of a more healthy uh, delivery of their child. Have you um, heard that statistic before? Are you familiar? And uh, does it do you think there's some validity to it? Uh, I definitely do. Uh, I'm very aware of that statistic, um, and it comes from the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Uh, and so I think what the outcome of that particular study is, is um, why does this happen? Why, if there is a Black doctor that is involved with uh, a Black child, uh, the survivability, if you will, for the Black child is higher than when there is a white physician uh, involved with a Black child. And I believe uh, part of that reason has to do with something that is very real in our society, and it's called implicit bias. Uh, and implicit bias is a blind spot uh, to some of the things that perhaps uh, we should acknowledge in a patient and that we don't know enough of. It can be an orientation that comes from institutional racism and day-to-day uh, -day, um, uh, unconscious thoughts that we have about people being different when we know that, yes, perhaps they are different, but they are created equal and therefore should not be treated in a different way. And so this study has been very important uh, in really pushing home the idea in medical schools. And I teach in a medical school and I teach uh, uh, about how to um, address implicit bias and microaggressions and so on with our medical students, um, the importance of understanding that all of us, all of us, not, not, not just white people, but all of us, black people, white people, Asian people, you know, indigenous, we all have implicit biases and that's okay. What's not okay is if we're not recognizing and working on them. And so this particular study is saying to us that we have a lot of work to do in the medical profession in getting rid of health disparities and the way that we treat people unequally. Mm -hmm. And so I think it goes back, uh, Glow and Carrie, mm -hmm. to the idea of there may be some real or there is real legitimacy to a black person saying, I want to work with a, a, a person who looks like me mm -hmm. because of the way that they have been treated in society, less than the way that they've been treated by the medical establishment lack of cultural sensitivity and lack of cultural competence and that many people of color don't trust the American medical profession given the Tuskegee uh, experiment and how they've been overused or underused in drug studies. Um, and so we see it playing out now in real time, for yeah. example, with some black people saying, hey, I don't want to take this vaccine right. for COVID-19 because yep. I don't necessarily trust, you know, how it's been produced, how quickly it's been produced and who's giving that vaccine out. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Gloria, do you have black doctors? Um, so growing up, I want to talk to you about my childhood. Growing up, I always had a doctor who was black or brown. Hmm. And I don't know. I, I think my mother did it intentionally. 
You know, we're talking about growing up in the 70s and 80s, and my my dentist was a family practice, and he was uh, black. And when I mean black, I mean anything, black, Caribbean, um, Native American, anything other, she made sure that we saw. Wow. My pediatrician was also other um, all of my life. But when I got older, when I moved to Chicago, um, I noticed I had to request, you know, uh, for a doctor who looked like me. And sometimes that was met with resistance. You know, they said to me, well, we can't tell you what the doctor looks like. We mm -hmm. can't we can't give you a doctor. We can only provide you their name. And so I want to say something about that. I don't think that I have to see someone who looks like me, but I understand that study. I feel a little bit more comfortable when I feel like someone can relate to me. I want to talk to you about my son um, at Northwestern Hospital uh, in Chicago years ago. Okay. I'm, I went to the, uh, the classes uh, for um, labor to prepare me. I'm in there. I'm pushing. Um, he's going to be 22 years old, by the way, but I'm pushing, <laughs> I'm pushing, I'm pushing. And uh, the doctor was like, I don't understand why you don't understand. And I literally started crying because they had been working with me, but they said I didn't understand that I needed to push from below. Like I was pushing up top because I was so stressed. There was a black nurse that was in there. She said, can you guys excuse me for a second? And I was hysterically crying. And basically she told me to rely on my faith. Aww. She told me that we were going to get this, that we were going to do this. And I needed to focus and put all of the other stuff out. And I can't believe it. Like, I was just like, okay, somebody who understood me that just didn't think that I was not listening on purpose, right. that I was really stressed out, that I was like worried about the delivery of my child. And I don't know what happened. I snapped out of it and my baby was born. Mm -hmm. So I, as an adult for my children, they don't have to be black or brown, but I do, honestly, I look for it. Mm -hmm. Because it's important, and I and it's what I only know as a child. I know that as I when I was younger, other than what my mom did, there weren't a lot of choices in terms of black and brown. And I feel like it's getting better. We still have a long way to go, but um, it is getting better. And I, I that's why I want to talk to you, Doctor Gardier. Like, am I wrong for requesting that? You know what I mean? Am I wrong for saying you know? And it's not like I want to be offensive, but sometimes just the conversation is different with the doctor who looks like me. So uh, as you know, as a psychologist, I don't use the words right or wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, it is, uh, and why is it? And that is based on past experiences. Um, but to add on to that, um, one of the things that I'm doing at the medical school in which I teach, uh, the Turo College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York, is a lot of work around cultural sensitivity and cultural competence. We do a lot of work with interprofessional, um, you know, uh, educational activities, bringing in pharmacists and, and doctors and nurses and so on, all working together because we need to have more equality, uh, not without, just with our patients, but also with the professions too, because then there is that trickle down to the patients where we begin to see them as our equals and we're actually there to serve them. And so one of the things that, um, first of all, let's be aware that only 5% of our American doctors uh, or doctors in America are black, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, even fewer so black women, right? I think it's like a crazy small number of black women. But, but, but interestingly enough, uh, when we compare black men to black women, we see more of the college graduates are black women 
as compared to black men. Hmm. So that's right. something that is a story also that we have to look at, but a story for another day. <laughs> but the important thing here, no, no, seriously. I yeah. mean, that's, a, that's I'm glad you brought that up, Carrie. Uh, but, you know, the in our medical schools, I see predominantly many more uh, women of color versus men of color. So that's where it relates to that statistic. However, that being said, there aren't enough black doctors to go around for black patients. Um, and that is part of the impetus, by the way, as to why it's important that all of our other doctors who are not black also have cultural sensitivity and cultural competence. We train them in that so that when they're working with a Jewish patient, a Muslim patient, an Asian patient, uh, indigenous patient, no matter what the patient is, no matter what culture they come from, that they're not, they are not only sensitive to where that person comes from, the context of that person's illness, how to better connect with that patient, but to know something about that patient's race, mm -hmm. their gender, their sexuality, their whatever the case may be, so that they can speak to someone like Gloria and say, okay, I know you're really stressed, but tell me a little bit about your faith. How does that help Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Does yep. praying help? I don't particularly pray. I do pray. I'm an interfaith minister, but I'm role-playing here. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, but it makes a difference. Or, or health provider saying, well, I don't pray, but does that help you? Right. And if it does help you, then let me pray with you if that helps. Or let me get a chaplain to come in and work with me. So we have to be able to meet the patient where they are. And in the future, then we won't have as much someone saying, I need a doctor who looks like me, but more of, I need a doctor who really gets me. Yes, who understands me. And speaking of that, when you say go through a course of sensitive uh, training, there was another doctor in Chicago who I actually really liked. I got to tell you guys this. On three different occasions, he walked in. You know, I did my annual physical. He'd be like, first time, hi, Gail, how's it going? I'm like, Gail? <laughs> oh, no. Who the hell are you calling Gail? So that was like, okay, you got that wrong. And then he goes... How are the thyroids? Oh, no. And Dr. Gardier, I never had thyroids. And I was like, okay, that was weird. And I was like, oh, I don't have thyroid. He's like, I'm terribly sorry. Still went on. The rest of the appointment was nice. Another year goes by. He says it to me again. Not Gail this time, but he asked me about the thyroids. <laughs> this time I'm fuming, okay? All right? And then I said, you know, my husband, I'm going to say, he goes, Gloria, I say something to him. I said, you know, can I say something to you? I said, I have never had thyroids. And I know you're super busy and I actually really like you, but it really bothers me. I just need you to do me a favor. And I have so much respect for doctors. Could you just look at my chart? Oh, good for you. Before you, when you, before you come in, I said, because I am not comfortable with the rest of the things that you're telling me, because first of all, I've never had thyroids before. You also called me Gail. I overlooked that, but you're telling me like multiple times that I have thyroids. Is there something on my chart that I don't know about? He was so red. He said, I am so sorry. I don't know why. I said, yeah, it's like you're projecting it on me. Like, is there someone before me that had it? Or am I, do I have it really? And you're not telling me. And then he showed me my chart. He was like, I'm sorry. And I, I it was a hard pill for me to swallow because I felt like once again, like in most of my life, I am having teachable moments. I'm saying, listen, I'm not even talking about black or white. I'm saying as a person, do me a favor. Just look at my chart. 
and then the optics of it, right? I'm just a person, but then I'm a black woman and I don't want to think it's about race. I don't want to believe that. But then I'm like, what is it? What is it that you don't take the time to, to look at someone's chart? And that makes me feel like this is why I want to request. And I have requested and to answer your question, Gary, my doctor now is black or brown. She's other. She's Latin, actually. And I do think that I just feel more comfortable. But before you guys say anything, Carrie, I want to ask you, have you ever had a black doctor or experienced that emotion or anybody in your family, black or brown? Well, okay. So I was thinking when you guys were talking about like um, a doctor who looks like me, like now you can sort of look at the hospital website or whatever and see a picture, but it didn't used to yes. be that way when we didn't have the internet and everything. And so I, I have a bias just growing up in New England. You know, everyone thinks like Boston is like the best medical place, whatever. So that's what I would look for was like a, a name that sounded nice and where they went to medical school, you know. And so I, I twice, once in Chicago and once in L.A., you know, I picked like whatever that means, a name that sound, you know, and and they, Boston educated or whatever. And, tw and twice they were black. And these were just people that I went to for, like in Chicago. I think it was like a podiatrist. It was just something like a one off. And then in L.A. And, and you know, this is like looking at your list from insurance, like doctors that yes. they approve or whatever. And then same thing in L.A. I can't remember what the cause was, but it was a black doctor. And, and I will say, I think I think I was shocked just because I think that like cultural thing i'm just used to it being a white doctor it wasn't shocked like oh i'm leaving but just like oh you're black okay and neither <laughs> thing was you know significant my current uh what do you call it general physician yeah, or whatever yeah, mm -hmm. is an asian woman who i love i mean i've definitely had um i've had hispanic i've had um indian you know i've definitely had a lot of race different races for doctors but i want to make you feel better about the doctor mistaking you because i don't want you to think that it is a race completely a race please thing. help me because i'm like no and i want dr I, I mean, it's, it's a too. terrible thing and and you know i'm sure all doctors feel shame about it but i had a similar thing happen i was in the er and and i was there i have a bad pancreas and i was there because of pancreatitis but i had two doctors approach me and they were like why did you try and commit suicide <gasps> And I'm like, what? And and then they were like, who brought you here? And I'm like, my husband. And they're like, your husband? Like doubting my story. Whoa. And they totally mistook me for someone else. And it was and it ended up it was a psychologist. And then I did see the woman who they thought I was and she had brought her luggage and she was she was moving out. But um, but so I it's not completely a race thing, Gloria. <laughs> But still, well, yeah, let, so let, me say, let, me, let, let me say this, Carrie. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. It's not a, a, a completely a race thing. Uh, and I don't want to um, um, not validate what you're saying. Right, it is right. true. It's not always a race thing. But we also have to be aware that sometimes it is a race yes. thing. Yes. Oh, yes. And, I know. And, and yeah. so one of the things that we teach our medical students is to validate someone when they say, I felt I was discriminated mm -hmm. uh, because of my race. Yep. You validate that, and then you then follow it up with, um, yes, that is possible. That is possible. But let me also tell you my experience. Right, right. Because we don't yes. want the person to think that 
you know, what they experienced did not really happen. Yes. Uh, because it does happen. Yes. Yeah, okay. Sorry, Gloria. Up- I wasn't trying no, to not validate no, you. No. And also, just so you know, I didn't bring up the race to the doctor. But in my back of my mind, I was like, what is your problem? Like, you right. keep saying thyroids. And I know thyroids are common in African-American women. Okay. And you're saying that. But, dude, did I ever, did you ever tell me that? Right. So I, I never said race to him, but... I was very upset about it. And I said, oh, my God, is it because of that? Or is he just not looking at the chart? And he said he was sorry. And I forgave him. But I was still annoyed. It's like, okay, do do your job. I'm paying you for service. The the important thing, Glow, is he did apologize. And that's what we teach our medical students. If you um, engage in a a microaggression, you know, say something that um, is just off key or tone deaf, or you're even trying to pay a compliment and it, it comes off as insulting to you as the receiver, you know, you let that person know, the provider know, and then their job is to apologize and say that they'll do better. And I think that's what we've learned, um, you know, with the hashtag Me Too movement, mm-hmm. that as uncomfortable as it is, you know, for us as men, um, especially, that this is really an incredible opportunity for us to look at ourselves, re-examine, reassess how we can be much more sensitive and competent uh, and less insulting in the things that we say to other people. So, you know, we're, we are at the stage in this history of ours where we really all, you know, have to step up and we all have to do better, uh, especially after four years of, um, you know, a a White House, and that I will say, a White House that ruled by uh, hate uh, and divisiveness and made it okay for people to feel that you can be disrespectful to others and you don't have to look at the needs of others. I'm still shocked that, you know, we're in 2021 and so many stories that you hear and read about a female doctor going into a patient's room or dealing with a patient in the ER, and they're often met with, I want to see a doctor. Like as if right. the female right. doctor is automatically a nurse. And right. this is 2021. The black doctor I just read about, she was in the uh, Washington Post. She said they'll ask her her credentials. Where did you go to school? You know, How long have and, you been a doctor? That's true. That's true. And that happens all the time. And the reality, Carrie, is that do you know who the true heroes are in the hospitals? Nurses. It's the nurses. The nurses, right, right. absolutely. It's, it's the nurses, you know. And I'm and I'm married to a doctor, and she will tell you the same thing. Right. It's the nurses who've been doing the hands-on work, especially during COVID. But right. one of the things that you asked about, and I and you know, I, I think we have to go there. I think we have to go there. What about the white patient who says, I want to see someone? who looks like me. Yeah. Yes, and that's Yeah, mm-hmm. have you ever had someone not want to be treated by you because of your race? Um initially, yes, but I never walk away and I assess why they're saying that uh and sometimes it is because of uh, of an implicit bias that they're not used to seeing a a black psychologist or doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not used to having black people within their environment. So they would feel much more comfortable. It's not necessarily that they hate black people. 
uh, or that they don't trust, trust the black person. It's just that they're not used to that. Uh, and um, perhaps they feel that a black person couldn't understand what they as a white person is going through. Right. And so it is about an education process of letting them know, um, perhaps to some extent, because I'm not white, I may not know certain things, but being a black person in America, I've had to learn 15 different social languages. I have to be able to hang with black people, with white people, you know, with Asian people, with Latinx people. I mean, I have no choice as a person of, I, I really believe none of us have a choice. We must learn all those languages. So yes, I've had some people say, well, I don't particularly feel comfortable in working with you, but after the first or second session, when we're able to make that connection, and that's, what, that's what's important, it raises the social IQ of that patient to not only trust their black doctor, but then to begin to open up their hearts to saying, hey, maybe there are other people out there and I need to break out of my comfort zone and see other people. Now I've, uh, and, and be around other people who don't look like me, but I've actually even worked with white people where it wasn't about implicit bias. It was just straight out racism and prejudice like oh heck no yeah i'm not working with a black person you know i know they're not qualified they are below me and so what is a black doctor to do what is a psychologist to do I'll right right because you're because you're us. trained to to have to treat that person no matter what uh, i'll tell you what yes he's pulled up his sleeve it, you roll up your sleeve <laughs> yes. and yeah. say this person is um needs me yeah this person um has been living with hate and prejudice and bias and not only does it hurt the black people around them and others around them because chances are if they don't like black people they probably don't like asian people or latinx people and therefore it is my job as a psychologist and as an ordained minister to show them love Mm -hmm. show them knowledge, show them respect, and bring them into the real world of diversity. And, and so, I, that I takes a lot. That, that does takes take a lot. Because I think of, this isn't race related, but I, I always think about when there's like a mass shooting or a school shooting and the, the shooter has to go to the hospital because they're injured or whatever. And I'm like, there's doctors that have to save their that person's life. And it's like, what? He just killed, you know, 20 people, but then someone is charged with having to save his life. And that's not race related, but it's still like, I, I don't know. I think I would have a bias and be like, I'm not helping this guy, you know? Well, you, but, but, you learn, but you learn very early on, either in law school where, you know, your fiduciary duty is to your client yeah. or as a health provider, um, that, you know, you take uh, an oath, a Hippocratic oath, an osteopathic oath, you know, a nursing oath um, in psychology. Um, I can't walk away from someone who is a narcissistic personality disorder. Um, I can't say I don't like that person right. or someone who's a racist and saying, well, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that person. That's my job to work with that person and to help that person. Yeah. Now, on a personal basis, 
it's a different thing. You as a, uh, an attorney or a physician may not want that person as a friend, but if they're laying on a gurney in front of you as a physician, you have an oath mm -hmm. to take care of them. Yeah. I want to go back for a second. You touched on it and we didn't go there. So I'm going to see if we touch it again. If we don't go there, it's fine. In both of our families, and Carrie, I'll ask you, have you experienced where someone in your family didn't want to have a doctor because they didn't look like them? The, the story that I remember was my grandfather when he was, you know, at the end of his life and he had nurses caring for him. I, I believe he was still like in his home, but a nurse would come every day and do those things that they, that nurses are so amazing to do. And I remember him turning down, saying he didn't want certain nurses because they were black. And that's like, I mean, I'm so ashamed of that, but it, you know, I think that, and look, that you and yeah, you but and that I have goes, come a long I way. think yeah. especially that generation, you know, mm -hmm. um, they were not as accepting and had preconceived prejudices and were and and the opposite of what you were saying, doctor, like he wasn't um, open to expanding his horizons and learning that despite the color of someone's skin, they could still care for him or whatever, you know, and um, I was obviously young and not, gonna, you know, couldn't champion the cause. But um, yeah, so I know that like it's even in my family, it's happened. Right. And you know what's sad about that is that that could have been the best nurse yep. at that facility. Yep. But he never got to experience that. Yep. And and so that's back then. What's scary about that is that it's still going on in 2021. Yeah. And and that Dr. Gardier, hats off to you because you say, listen, I rise above that. I meet them halfway. How many doctors don't get that opportunity? How many doctors don't have the mental state to say, you know what? You don't want to work with me. I'll leave you laying right there. Yeah. I'll let you go. And it's like, guess what? You're talking to this person. This person went to school. This person did everything they were supposed to. And yet in your eyes, they'll never be good enough. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy to imagine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's right? not only crazy to imagine, but it's also crazy. Yeah. I mean, yes. think about it, right? We talk about a delusional belief system, you know, that, you know, obviously the, the stats, the science, the facts are there that this person is trained like everyone else, but in your eyes, you feel that they're less than. So I really do believe one of the issues with racism, with prejudice, with you know the, the hate that's being spewed onto Asian Americans, um, I, I think a lot of that comes from um, mental health challenges. I'm not talking about people with psychological issues only, mental health challenges where they're not fully integrated as uh, individuals in their thinking, in their spirituality, um, in their interpersonal skills. And these are the people who will always be marginalized, mm -hmm. uh, who will marginalize themselves, who will never be a functioning part of society. Uh, so, you know, certainly um, these are individuals in the future uh, that we have to work with when we see that sort of thing so that the collateral damage are not Asian Americans or African Americans or Latinx or other groups, LGBTQ community who now become uh, the fodder or the victims of this hate that is fueled by unreasonable um, and delusional uh, beliefs. And 
again, I have to say, I'm not going to get into the politics, but that's what was driving the past couple of years in this nation, where we see this incredible rise in white supremacy, mm -hmm. uh, fascism, uh, and that this very, very um, fragile democracy at times has hung on a thread. Uh, with that cap uh, capital insurrection mm -hmm. and many of the other things that we've seen. And so it is important that we begin to address all of these belief systems, these very toxic politics, because it keeps us from respecting one another and getting into the mindset of what we're talking about today. I want a doctor who looks like me. I want to only hang with people who look like me. I want to be only with people who look like me. It's not only delusional, but it's boring. <laughs> yes, and it's, and it's not the makeup of the world. Right. So let me ask you this. What advice would you give to our listeners? And we're, we're listening to, we're taking all this in. What kind of baby steps, if you are used to living in that delusional world, but you want to get out, you want to mm -hmm. do better, but you've been stuck in a way for so long. Uh, doctor, what advice could you give to folks who are listening? Well, I think both of you uh, alluded to it and Carrie, you alluded to it a little while ago, coming out of that comfort zone. Yeah. You know, and Gloria, you discussed, yes, when you were younger, you had black and brown doctors chosen by your mother, but now you're much more open to having, you know, any kind of doctor who gets you and of course, who's qualified, mm -hmm, right? Absolutely. So come out of your comfort zone and it begins with, and you have to make the effort make sure that in your life that you are associating and meeting with people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't praise like you, because there's so much you can learn from them and so much they can learn from you. And that's why with hard candy and fruit snacks, <laughs> right? We yes. have Gloria and we have Carrie <laughs> yes. who are very different from one another, who often disagree with one another, but do so respectfully, but they learn from one another and it becomes then teachable moments for the rest of us. Together with the Office of Ideas from Boston's Brigham Women's Hospital, we have established a scholarship fund. And in that scholarship fund, we're so excited that four Seniors from the inner city of Boston will be awarded scholarships that will jumpstart their college careers. But we need your help. We're raising money. There'll be a link in the show notes. There's a fundraising event on April 29th, and we have a GoFundMe, and there's an address to send checks. But if you can give anything, whether it's $25 or $2,500, $25,000, it's all going directly to these four seniors who are so deserving, and they won't be able to go to college without our help. And also, we want to say thank you so much to so many of you who have already donated. We appreciate you. We feel it. And it means more than you know. Thank, thank you. you. This episode was sponsored by the Office of Ideas. An initiative of the Brigham and Women's Hospital Department of Emergency Medicine. Which fights for inclusive, accessible, high-quality health care. For everyone! You've been listening to Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks with my mom, Gloria. And my mom, Carrie. This episode was produced by Frank Valida, Carrie Clifford, 
Gloria Harrison and an ACL joint production. With the music by Alex Skolnick Trio. Check them out at alexskolnick.com. Tune in next time to hear more from our moms. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.